Hello, and welcome to the Worth the Watch podcast. While there are plenty of movie review podcasts out there, our goal is not to be that. This is supposed to be a fun look back at movies from our past that we have enjoyed. We just want to fill that place between your ears for about an hour. Make your commute to work a little more tolerable, or let you reflect on a movie that you may have seen. Movies can make us laugh and cry, make us cringe in fear, or be a shot of adrenaline. We watch them in theaters with total strangers, at home with friends and family, or on Sundays when it's on cable for the 300th time. When One We Love comes on TV, we get excited. It's almost like, hey, someone else likes this movie too. So if you like what we do, let us know. Follow us on Twitter at WorthTheWatchPC, again, at WorthTheWatchPC, or email us at WorthTheWatchPodcast at gmail.com. Make suggestions of movies you love and want to hear. Tell us what areas you want us to cover. Please keep things clean. We have families who don't want them to be worried about us. Please remember, this is all in good fun, and if something on here offends you, tough shit. Get over it and find something else to be upset about. Welcome to the Worth the Watch podcast. I'm your host, Ed Palilla. With me as always, Mike Kennedy. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. Uh, this week we're doing a... Uh, fan favorite of Mike and mine, uh, Hollywood Homicide. Hollywood Homicide released on June thirteenth, two thousand three. Had a budget of seventy five million, only made fifty one million in the box office. Uh, kind of just fell off. I don't know if it wasn't promoted properly, or released at the wrong time, or caught up in the some of the other movies that would have been released maybe that year, but it never quite did well. Not very good on the score, Mike. What would you be your guess of the Rotten Tomatoes critic score? I well, I know the IMDb was like a five point three. Correct. And I'm going to say the Rotten Tomato then probably was like I don't know forty. Thirty. Damn. And shockingly, the audience score is only twenty seven percent. Because this this movie feels like a ah uh, well. I could see the critics not liking this. It's not, it's not a film. It's it's kind of a goofy buddy cop funny movie, but I still think it's entertaining, and I think people would like it. And it's only twenty seven percent that really surprises me. Into the cast, main character Harrison Ford plays Sergeant Joe Gavilan. Joshua Hartnett plays Detective Casey Calden. Lena Olin plays Ruby. Dwight Yoakam uh, plays Leroy Wasley most famous Dwight Yoakam scene I can think of is the opening to Wedding Crashers. Oh, yeah, when he's in the... He's there with uh, Rebecca De Mornay, and they're doing their divorce thing. Uh, Bruce Greenwood plays Lieutenant Benny Macko. You've probably seen him in a couple random things, and Mike and I are going to kind of get into that a little later. Isaiah Washington plays Antoine Sartain, most notably from Grey's Anatomy. Keith David plays Leon, the uh, the boss of Gavilan and Calden. He's been in a lot of stuff over the years. Most notably, he was in They Live, opposite of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Armageddon, he played the general. And may, there was may, may he rest in peace, Rowdy Roddy Piper. May May Rowdy Roddy Piper rest in peace. He was in Armageddon, and then there was a TV show recently called Enlisted. It only made it one season, but he was like the head general or head major, and he was really funny in that show. Unfortunately, he only made it one season. He's always a pretty, like, tough guy. He plays a tough guy with a lot of one-liners. He always kind of plays the same character, but 
he's always pretty good. Uh, Master P, in his only real notable acting credit that I can think of, plays Julius Armas. His name in real life is Julius, I believe, too. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I should have looked that up. Uh, Martin Lando plays Jerry Duran. A Lou Diamond Phillips cameo as the name Wanda. His actual name in the uh, credits is Wanda. Wasn't he in the movie La Bamba too? Lou Diamond Phillips? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. played the guy. He played Ricky yeah. Valens. Wah, 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 Wanda. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mo- Lou Diamond Phillips has been in a million things. If you ever watch... What used to be the military channel, now it's American Heroes Channel. He always does the marathons at like Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Veterans Day and stuff like that. He's always hosting all those. He's real big into military stuff. Meredith Scott Lynn plays Internal Affairs Officer Jackson. I saw her face and I knew I recognized her and looked her up. She is in the movie The Night at the Roxbury, the one that Chris Catan keeps calling that works for the credit office and ends up with at the end of the movie. That's her. It took me a minute until I finally figured it out. And then there is a small Anthony Mackie cameo in this movie. He is the killer named Joker, one of the two people that shoot up the club. Very, very early on in his career, way before he got in with Marvel Studios, and now he's a very famous actor. So the only person I didn't mention is Andre Ice Cold 3000 because I wanted to get in him when he actually shows up later. What's cooler than being cool? Ice cold. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> Mike, you want to start the movie? I certainly will. Opening scene, we have Joe and Casey at the firing range where Casey cannot hit a target if his life's dependent on it. And Joe's like crack shot hitting any hitting exact his targets at will whenever he wants to. They take a little break. Joe notices that Casey's not hitting any shots. He, you know, goes over, helps him take a couple of headshots pretty much for him real quick, guessing they have to pass these tests and he's helping them pass. And thanks, Joe. Now we have all these liabilities on the street, you know? Yes. <laughs> I will come. Have you ever shot a handgun? Yes. It's not easy. It's, you know, putting off one shot is okay, but trying to like fire a bunch off in a row that takes some talent. Yeah. Cause it's, they're, they're very heavy and it's really hard to kind of stabilize and be accurate with. So when I see anybody do that, I'm always very impressed by the accuracy of someone to do it, especially in a, in a rapid fire situation, as you said. Mm-hmm. So then after that, we just do a hard cut straight to masterpiece club. We see a shady character letting another shady character in the bathroom window with guns Turns out the Falcon was a bad guy before he met Captain and got yep. his wing. Yeah, he was. You know, like you said, just that's that's probably his most famous role now. Oh, by far. We see a guy. The only reason why I knew his name was K. Bro at this time is because they he sees the um, assassin guys coming in, and his name's K. Bro, and he notices something's up. Tries to get, get goes away goes away and starts hiding. Uh, the two men pretty much just corner the rap group H2O click, just pretty much just mow them down with mach- these massive machine guns. Cairo gets away. We cut straight to Joe Gavin. He's on his phone trying to sell this Mount Olympus house. He's a part-time real estate agent. Uh, the reason why he did this, the director did this, was I actually listened to part of the director's commentary. It's too boring. I couldn't listen to the rest of it. But he met a cop on a set of a different movie 
that was helping film. And so he got this cop to help him write this one and do this one. So a lot of these things that are, you see happening are stuff that happens real life in cop films, which is kind of cool to find out after the fact. But he, this cop was a part-time real estate agent, like the last like 10 or 15 years of his career. Yeah. I, I read that too, that um, in one of the facts that uh, a lot of, uh, there's several scenes and several scenarios throughout this movie that are based on real, real events. And from what we can tell, he's struggling to sell this house. KC Caldwell is teaching a yoga class with just tons of hot chicks in this class. Tons. So we see they both have a little side hustle going other than just being cops trying to make extra money. They're both called to the scene of the H2O click shooting. We live to the sea. We see, you know, the young KC kind of mimicking Joe a little bit. It's a little, little bit amusing. Yeah, I said, uh, do you, you love the, the rookie cop trying to follow the lead, a little monkey see, monkey do on it. Probably not 100% sure what he's supposed to be doing. And I just love when he stands up and he's like, write this down. Cheeseburger, well done, raw onions, pickle, ketchup. Nothing, nothing. else. I remember the first time you showed me this movie. You said, just pay attention to this scene. Because I'd never heard of it. I'd never seen it, obviously. And I started busting out laughing the first time I saw that. Because he does it so well. Yeah, just rattles it right off. And I just like how, you know, the yoga guy, he orders tomato cucumber on whole wheat with only mustard and bean sprouts. And bean sprouts, yeah. Sounds like something a hippie guy would That's do. super L.A. right there. I don't, um, if you tried to order that in Pittsburgh, I don't think you'd find it anywhere. <laughs> well, typically, the reason why they did that food order is another one of these things you learn from this cop is that you're at a crime scene for 36 hours. So they normally order some food as soon as they get there because they're going to be there for a long time. Oh, gotcha. They weren't there for the 36 hours This in this scene just because of the movie. Right. So, oh, I was like, that was just a nice, interesting little fact. To that is good to know. That is good to know. Yeah. Joe Glavin finds Kara's little puddle of piss. So he thinks that maybe somebody saw what happened. Joe's phone rings and his ringtone is the theme to my girl. Yeah. And I, every time I saw this movie, I never put two and two together. I just remembered flip phones had that kind of beeping sound to it. Mm-hmm. And Casey's, you can figure out pretty quickly that it's funky town, but. I never noticed it was the opening to My Girl. I just thought it was beep, 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 beep. And it was just the beeping of the phone. It was like a random ringtone. Mm-hmm. The phone rings 17 times in the movie, and they have to pay every single time that phone rings. Ah, yep. Got to pay royalties, man. <laughs> yeah. Got to pay royalties. And actually, my brother had this ringtone because of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he was Sounds told about me right. When I told him we were doing this movie when we were on vacation last weekend. He told me, he's like, yeah, that's why I had this ringtone. It's because of this. So they're interviewing. I'm going to keep calling him Master P. But his Just name call him Master P. We know. <laughs> Master, they're, they're interviewing Master P. Um, he kind of just tells them Antoine Sartain is the record record label that they that H.O. Click was under. I just love how in the middle of it, you know, he Joe just keeps answering his phone about, you know, I got this four bedroom on Mount Olympus, you know, it's falling through. He's the whole time, the whole movie. You, you're going to just hear about him. He answers his phone. doesn't matter when it is. Yes. does not matter when it is. He answers that phone. He's trying to, he's trying to make a deal. I make a, I, I make a little note about that later when we get into the car chase scene. Casey does still work in the scene while he's talking to Antoine finds, uh, finds an earring. They find some boot prints and Joe finds mail on his burger and he's really pissed off about it. <laughs> and lettuce. Unless I I actually wrote down the the whole little the the funny thing is the guy's name in the credits is Cheeseburger Cop. 
<laughs> cheeseburger cup. Because <laughs> that's like, how you, hey, you. how you uh, identify them. He's like, hey, you, come here. I see mayonnaise. Did anybody hear me say the word mayonnaise? Read your notes. What's it say? Cheeseburger. Well done. Raw onions, ketchup, pickle. You call that well done? In addition to the mayonnaise, I see lettuce. Lettuce that somebody tried to scrape off here. This is a disaster. What the <laughs> hell do they teach you at the academy anyway? Do you want to be a detective when you grow up? Yes, sir. Don't call me, sir. I work for a living. Dump this for me, please. I expect it better. Well done, Mike. Well done. <laughs> That's one, probably one of my favorite little like scenes right there in the whole movie. Oh, it's great. It's great. It's Harrison Ford at being pure Harrison Ford. Exactly. He's, he is very, very Harrison Ford in this movie. I don't even think he acts. I think he just they just let him do whatever he wants. It's like There's just like, be you and you know just do exactly what you do. Because I don't know if you've ever seen any interviews with him. He is exactly the same as this. Yeah, I love I love when he like goes back and again his phone rings again about the house. He just keeps answering it while he's at the crime scene, still trying to rock the deals. When he talks to Master P Julius, that's his name. Julius, this the next time. He finds out he's also looking for a place to live. He's in between houses right now. So obviously he's like, oh, you know, by the way, I'm a real estate agent. Hands him his real estate card, you know, trying to solve crimes and sell real estate all at the same time. Yep. He also finds out that he's got a big budget of $6 million to work with. That's a, I thought about this. That is a lot of money for being a club owner. And that place couldn't have held more than 125 people. It wasn't that big. I don't know where he's making six million from. You know, he must have other things going on. Very true. He must he must own multiple clubs yeah. or multiple real estates or multiple businesses. But yeah. So we cut straight from here. We go to the station, which is just like a zoo. We see Eric Idle, famous, yes, being arrested for soliciting hookers. He claims he's innocent. But as they go in, I like how they pass that whole row of hookers and he just goes, oh, hello, Gloria. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of a random thing. It, I don't know if he knew the writers or the producers or something and they just snuck him in. It's kind of so random. You would think of something like that. They might have come back around to him, but you never hear from him again. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and Eric Idle, you probably know him from like Monty Python and stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I recognize his face. I've, he's got he's got that classic British comedian voice. They leave the station to get to a little more quiet place so they can talk. So they hit this bar. Joe Gavlin paints you a portrait of Joe Gavlin. So seven or eight years ago, he sold off three tanning salons and two nail parlors, started attending weekend real estate seminars, and started buying and selling properties until he buys this monstrosity up on Mount Olympus on the corner of Hercules and I shit you not Achilles. I had to look it up. <laughs> there really is an intersection at the corner yep. of Hercules and Achilles. It is that house is not there. I didn't think it would be, but I, I pulled it up on Google Street View, and yeah, sure enough, it's it's there. And they do show later when he actually pulls in. Later, when he goes to meet Ruby, there he pulls in, and there's a giant sign that says Mount Olympus. So mm-hmm. it's real. Casey's trying to get to know Joe a little bit better. I think they've been partners for like four months, is what I've gotten. Yeah. He's like the his problem is he needs a really big commission. He's like, or he needs to get rid of this piece of shit on Mount Olympus. He goes, well. If I don't, well, the Titanic comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the payments on it. I'm sure he's maxed out, especially with, as you find out, all his commingling of funds. That, and it's when they are talking about that, too, later on, we'll get to that. But I just had written down that it was like, 
you find out he has like two kids in like a good good colleges and like three three ex wives. I was like, holy shit! Yeah, he, he really uh, he he's had quite a life there. He really dug himself a hole here. Yeah, he did. But Casey, luckily, he knows this girl who knows a producer that might be trying to sell his house, so he might be able to get him the listing. Casey kind of lays it on him, saying he might want to be an actor. <laughs> he's like, I get it. So you're gay, but he's got a performance. For the streetcar named Desire on Friday, and of course he wants Joe to come. Have you ever seen that movie? I've probably seen parts of it, but Brando. I, I mean, have not. I have not, so I can't say one way or the other. But this is where they're when they're leaving. He asks uh, Joe the last time he got laid. He's like, "None of your business." But he notices as soon as he pulls out, what looks like a hooker waves down Joe Gavlin. He pulls over, and what we what we know from Joe is that it's Lou Diamond Phillips dressed up as Wanda, an undercover cop, getting in the car with him. But from a distance, Casey thinks he's getting a hooker. And right after he sees me, he's like, say it ain't so, Joe. Like, Which that's a famous line from something. I can't remember what it's from. but No, I, I don't remember it one way or the other. But I will have to say, Lou Diamond Phillips is one ugly chick. But I think he does a great job. He's great. Great cameo. Yeah, he did you ever watch Without a Trace, the TV show? Uh, I've seen like a couple of episodes. He is a badass in that show. He's a U.S. Marshal, and they kept kind of bringing him in. No, it was no, it wasn't Without a Trace. I think it was Numbers. Yeah, I think it was the TV show Numbers. It was one or the other, and he is a badass U.S. Marshal in it. Now I got to look it up because I thought it was one, but maybe it's not. Go over. So he gets in the car and he's he hears heard about the shooting that uh, goes on the case of, and he's telling him that. Oh, I heard that there is a witness. His name's, you know, K. Rowe. So just they just have that little like back and forth talk in there. And one of my favorite parts is when Lou Don Phillips gets out of the car, he just kind of like touches the corners of his mouth, like he was just like giving him a blowjob or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of maybe maybe chuckle a little bit when he did that. And he was in the TV show Numbers. He was a, uh, Agent Ian Edgerton, and he's only in nine episodes, but I thought he was in a lot more. But he kind of kept – he would come in for an episode and be gone. But he's a he's a badass in that show. And then uh, Joe gets home, throws his mail away, pours a drink, dances to some nice music. Then he calls his psychic hotline, who uh, – Ruby, we discussed the beginning. She's the one that's on the psychic hotline that he calls. Yeah. And that's kind of like – it seems like it's his like little nightly routine. We find out that – he likes to drink some – I don't know what the what the alcohol he drinks is, but it's some sort of, like, scotch, I think. Probably. It's what it looks like. The two shooters from the club and – Wasley. Leroy La- Wasley, that's what it is. Yes. Um, says, thank you uh, from Antoine Sartain for the murders to the guys. Hands him the bag full, full of their money, and he just shoots the guys. Why do you hand him the bag? You should have just shot him. I th- well, I think it's to maybe make them distract a little bit because they're like looking in the bag for the money. Because he pulls out, they probably have guns on them too. So he just pulls out his gun. By the time he pulls out his gun and shoots one of them, maybe the other one's able to shoot him. So, you know, just for a distraction, probably a little bit. Yeah, that could be it. But they light the car on fire. They throw him in the car, throw a bunch of gasoline, let the car on fire. What I found out was is that that explosion from that car was the only thing that was used was four gallons of gasoline. Like really? Taped, like taped together. Yeah, they have like some sort of heat bar underneath it or something like that that sets it off. And 
you think about that, like most cars have like a 16 gallon gasoline tank. So yeah, give or take. It's a, it's a very realistic type of explosion, actually. How do you feel about the score in this movie? Just asking out of curiosity. I loved it. I actually have a note later that two very good songs were, were in this. Where did I write that down? Because I had the music written down. The opening thing was all, there it is. The I Love Callie in the Summer, Summertime song was, I know this movie is nine, was 2003, but that was pure like mid 90s hip hop LA music. It was, it was exactly what you would think. Yeah, and then pretty good score. Yeah, and then later, when they're chasing Cairo, that song "Gossip Girls" by Missy Elliott and Ludacris was mm-hmm. like the perfect song to play there. Actually, right before this, I pulled up the music video and forgot how good it was. And I just love it. it's like so. We just have next morning comes up, we see Casey laying in bed with some fine piece of ass he probably got from young class, <laughs> likely. And then we also find out that this guy Benny Macko is investigating Joe for some reason. So well, this... no, actually, you find out in the previous scene that Wasley's feeding dirt to Benny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, seeing this one of several times, now now several times I've seen this movie, I never put that together until I watched it this most recent time. I never really, I, I don't know why, I guess I never really realized when he's talking about it, he's talking about Benny Macko, and maybe I just missed it, but uh, this is another one of those movies where I usually catch it for a little bit, you know, a little here, a little there, and I don't quite know the whole the whole thing. He says that he's feeding stuff to Mako because he's known Mako forever. And you hear later Mako say, my source told me, and that's the source, is Wasley. There's, and I, I agree with that completely, though, that I really don't know, didn't notice that at all either until, like, I, I heard them say, but I didn't put two and two together that they were kind of, like, in cahoots together. I just thought that he was giving him like some information about, you know, about Joe. He may not have been officially in cahoots. It might've been just as much as he said, he, he has a desire to be like, to move up the ranks and he'll do whatever he can to go after somebody if it's going to help him. Mm -hmm. So he got excited the second he found out there was an opportunity to go after somebody. And And I think there was, as you find out later, Gavilan kind of screwed him over and made him look like a fool. So I'm sure there was some vengeance involved in it too. There, there, it's a hundred percent vengeance. Vengeance. He made him look like an ass in front of everybody. He thought he. I remember this. You found out right after this scene, pretty much that he's telling, he's telling Casey exactly what happened. He's like that. He thought Benny thought he had found this murder and was like telling to the papers and then press that he'd found this murder and he made him look like an ass and they found out it was the wrong guy. So he pretty much yeah. like made him look like an idiot in the public, in the public eye. So he's now like after him. I just love how too he's part of the IA, and it's just like I feel like you know internal affairs is always look. They're always like bad guys or corrupt in every every movie. Yeah, every movie. <laughs> like you know, I'm sure there are some good internal affairs officers out there. <laughs> yes, yes, and and we should respect those in blue that are are good. But <laughs> exactly. I like how they make him like they want to investigate. They're investigating him, so they want him to open his locker. He's like, I haven't opened this locker in 10 years. He's like, go ahead and cut it open. Oh, you missed a great line right there. One of my favorites. What's that? Uh, Let me make sure I say it correctly. I have more time on the third floor crapper than you do on the force. (laughs) That's Gavlin yelling back at Bruce Greenwood. 
Well, yelling back at Mako. Yeah. Um, they really don't find anything in it. Even though they barely even look. He like, pulls out the shoes and they don't even really look inside of it. They're just like, whatever. They know that there's nothing in there. Um, I like how when they go to open Casey Locker, you think, oh, he's got something hidden in there. He doesn't want him to open it. When they open it, there's just a bunch of books on like Karma Sutra and like sex stuff. Yeah. And you and this is when you find out they're in there and that they're looking into him because he's commingling funds. You're right. They're they're like, and he's like, you're right. I am commingling funds. So he just like puts a yeah. him long story. My second my mortgage versus my second alimony versus my paying for kids with my second loan on my car with my money stuck in the he always comes back to the monstrosity on Mount Olympus as he refers to it. I just love how when he's leaving, he's like, oh, we'll talk about it. And then right when he leaves the room, he looks right at Benny Mac and goes, fuck you very much. Yep. And then that's when we find out about the whole Joe and Benny Mac's background. We learned that uh, we also learned that Casey's dad was a cop and was killed in the line of duty. Yep. And it was kind of like really shady. Nothing was ever found out about it. And Joe kind of, I think when he hears this, kind of gets a little more respect for he always like just thinks he's kind of a joke joker playboy type guy but kind of like gets a little more fuel for him like knows that he's like kind of following in his father's footsteps and sure offers to get him he you know knows a guy that can probably get his dad's file if he wants to take a look at it and this is also when casey tells him he's like they saw joe with the hooker and he's like oh you mean the hooker from last night yeah, like, <laughs> that, that was a guy, a guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a cop guy a guy yeah. cop yeah. and then things then gavelin's phone rings well this is when they they also when they stop the guy yeah um, but i mean gavelin's phone ring happened first and then yeah. the i don't know was he on drugs he looked like he was on drugs maybe just some some crazy guy you know some crazy the, guy and just starts firing off live rounds everywhere which we actually found out that the cop who helped him out with this movie this is actually something that happened while he was a cop yeah uh that was a, an interesting thing to read about this, but I do have my one a complaint on this. I watched it twice, 16 shots, not 15. You know what else? Go on. When you look in the background and people are like just diving out of the way and like running in like plain sight, like you're probably just dive behind, go behind a car real quick. People are yeah. just running around like mad, the cops running around with their chicken it, with their head. Yeah. No one the pulls, guy a gun, just yeah. pull a gun out and shoot them. Right. It's like, that's what you would do. Wouldn't wait for him to shoot all the bullets. You would, somebody else would pull their gun out and shoot him. Right. You would think someone would have, as soon as they had the shot, taken it. Exactly. We, oh, they go to Antoine Sartain's place to ask some questions. While they're at the recording studio, we run into Andre Ice Cold 3000. Yes. Who recognizes uh, Casey from high school. Crenshaw High. Crenshaw High. So Casey decides to stay in the studio while Joe goes up to talk to Antoine. I just love when he introduces to that girl and she's like, you know, from the Jello commercial, and he goes, Yeah, man, she sort of shit she's little sort of shit little Jello. <laughs> oh yeah, you were the blue jello girl. When when he's talking with Andre and everything like that, trying to get some information, Andre tried to give him the script. I still got the script, it's off the hook, man. It's tight. Yeah, I got the script with Oscar shit written all over. I'll tell you what it's called. Yeah, what's it called, man? Tell, tell, tell. Tell, tell him the title. Man. Oh, you love this title, man. Tell him the title. Yeah, yeah. Wait, hold on. You ready for this, man? It's called. This is nasty.
nasty. Yeah, nasty. I still say that about stuff all the time. Like, <laughs> oh, man, that's nasty. And no one gets it. Nobody gets it. You gotta be respectful to the ladies. Yeah, I love how excited they are about telling them uh, of, of of the script. Nasty. Joe Joe works on Sartain pretty good. You know, gives him but when he goes to leave, he gives him a real estate card instead of giving him his cop card. Um, but he definitely knows that he's not being a hundred percent with them. He knows that he's not being he's holding true. back. Yeah, exactly. Um this is where we see Joe's car getting stolen, what we think is stolen. Uh, Casey tries to stop his car from being stolen, but we find out that they were just repo man repoing his car. Yep. Because <laughs> he was late on his payments. Yeah, and all he was hoping was they actually were stealing it, probably so he could get the insurance money. I, I just don't get why, even if somebody's stealing your car, you wouldn't stand in the middle of the road and pull your gun out and aim it at them. Yeah, that's a ridiculous scene. It, and they start shooting. You see it almost hits somebody, too. Yeah, it's like he's, and he's not, you said, we've learned that he's not an accurate shot either. No, he's not. That he totally should not be doing that. But after this, they just go straight to Jerry Duran's house so that Joe can try to get the listing for the house in case he can give him the nasty script. Nasty. For a streetcar named Desire Performance. Yes. Um, I like the scene when he, they first walk up. And the girl yells, Casey. And he's like, Kimberly. And she goes, Shauna. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close. And then as they're walking out, Pearson Ford goes, you dog. Yeah. <laughs> and I also like when he introduces himself to Mr. Van, he's like, I'm Joe Gladwin, you know, like detective from like the police force. He goes, so you must have a mistake. He's like, I think I have a buyer for your house. Yeah. <laughs> and then he immediately goes, I won't go a penny under six, five or something. I think it's a penny under like five. Oh, seven. five. And he said, I won't go a penny under five, five. He said, I was thinking closer to six. That's what it was. And uh, so they go in there. He just kind of sneakily drops the nasty script off in his little streetcar named Desire flyer. Um, Joe gets his three day exclusive to try to sell this house. Yes. Um, so Joe, Joe, as soon as they leave, Joe immediately calls Julius, tells him to come look at the house. Leon calls to say they found out where Cairo and like who like hit, where he kind of kind of where he lives and who Olivia Robodeau and they found out who Olivia Robodeau is. Olivia Robodeau is played by Gladys Knight. Yes. But you um, missed the part where he goes and finds he's there when they discover bodies. He's, so in, the, he's in the, that's the cutting bay essentially. That's that's next because he actually makes a deal with KC to do the autopsies while he shows the house. Yes. And I love that part because when he goes, he go, so just pretty much he's like, hey, if you get some guys to come to the show on Friday, I'll go do this. And he's like, all right. I just love this. the first scene soon together. He's cutting open that guy. And <laughs> just squirts out all over yeah. him. We got a juicy one here. Yeah. <laughs> this is where Casey talks to another, it looks like detective, and they talk about. A couple of crispy critters, I think they call crispy, them. Yeah. A couple of crispy critters. But then he sees the they have found an earring on these guys, the same earring that they found at the club. Yep, and he remembers the boot sizes and asks them, and they said, "Yep, that's it." All the boot sizes, and he's like, "I think these guys killed those guys." Yep. So he's putting he's putting it together that there's some stuff. He is, but the first thought is, "Oh, it's just gang related work." 
not that there's anything else shady involved. They haven't tied those two together yet. Exactly. Yeah. We cut back to Casey teaching the hottest yoga class on the planet. Yes. When Joe walks in and is just staring at asses with a little grin on his face. This movie made you want to be a yoga instructor. Pretty much wanted me to start taking yoga at least. Yeah. But then I peeked into a yoga class at my gym and I was like, this isn't like Casey Caldwell's yoga class. I don't want to go into it. Yep. <laughs> yep. But pretty much Joe gives him the file on his dad. Uh, you know the, about his dad's case. It's just there's there's a nice. He's like Joe's like this is a nice little ha- ha- nice little hustle you have here, money and sex. Yeah. And you know he's trying to say it's not about sex, and he's like saying this as all these smoking hot girls walk past. One's like, can we give private lessons? Everyone's like, I'm feeling really open right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kimberly, the girl who we met briefly when we were at Jerry Duran's house. Who he's already? Who actually? She's the girl he woke up with in bed, <laughs> too. Kimberly yes, Lewis. yes. Early on, banger, just gives him a kiss and he's like, "Nice class." And, and whole time, Harrison Ford's just like watching him walk by with the big grin on his face. Oh, like, the girl mm-hmm. that says, "I feel very open right now." She makes a reappearance very soon. Yes, she does. She does make a reappearance very soon. And then he kind of admits, maybe I did get in it for a little bit for the sex. He's like, "But it's not about that now." No. It's like it's deeper, and then Harrison's just somebody's like, and shallow. <laughs> yes, deeper and shallow. He's like, yes, deep and shallow. So we get these Cleo who calls Joe to give him some info about the whole H2O click thing and telling him that the kind of the murders are linked. We cut to Benny Macko, who really, really, you know, he's got it out for Joe, wants him to hang. And this is kind of where we find out Joe's got three ex wives and two kids in college it's just an apparently nice colleges and they can't figure out where he's getting the money they're trying to figure out where he's getting the money so like they're just pretty much going to tail joe the rest of the movie um when casey gets home he hears a noise and what's the first thing you do gotta pull my gun because i just heard a noise it's like nobody right and i'm a ter and i'm a terrible shot i probably should get a gun out um and it's the chick who felt very open from yoga class just sitting in the hot tub but naked he calls her Dominique. She says, close enough. Uh, my thought here, it's your house. Why wouldn't you take your clothes off first? Exactly. Before you get in the hot tub. He literally, like, You're going to take them off anyways. So just before you get in the tub, how long does that take? Seven seconds to take, uh, rip off your shirt and take off your pants before you get in the hot tub? Yeah, he takes his... That's what I'm saying. He could have just taken his clothes off and can't be a privacy thing. He's gonna bang her in the hot tub. Like, I mean, what's she worried about? Yeah. All he does is take his gun off and then hops in. Yeah. Even his shoes, man. I think he, he still has his badge on. His shoes on. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's the main thing. Come on, have a little patience, man. It'll be worth it. And then we cut to Joe passed out on his recliner like an old man with a drink. Uh and he wakes up to somebody coming into his house, too. What's he do? Oh, he better pull a gun out. And it's not like yeah. they're breaking in. They're using a key. <laughs> yes. And who is it? Like I just said, we found out. It's his little piece of ass. He's got Ruby. And they have a nice little blindfold sex, you know, where he tries to – there's a scene where he tries to peek, and she's like, bad cop, no donut. Yes. <laughs> 
another one of the scenes you pointed out to me that made me laugh. I, I do. One of the things I like is that they pick someone who's closer to his age. Because sometimes it's tempting to pick yes. somebody who's like 20 years younger than him. You know, somebody like in their like, and he's probably like in his 50s in this movie. And she's probably in her 40s, is my guess, mid to late 40s. Uh, she may even be 50. She could be. I'm going to guess late 40s is what my guess would be. She's got a pretty tight body for her 50s. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but like I said, it's somebody that it would make a little bit more sense for him to be with because she definitely, you know, looks a little bit more her age, his age. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, I like the scene, too. They're having their little sexy time. He's kind of like behind her. He's wearing his aviators, like kissing her neck. Then he just turns his head to the right and just takes a big bite out of a donut out of nowhere. I'm not really sure where, where that scene came from, but. Uh, well, that was the no donut thing. So he just kind of brings it in and eats the donut. Just had some donuts laying around the house. Well, he is a cop. Yeah, so. right. All cops eat donuts. Duh. That's the rumor. And uh, so it's the next morning. And we find out that Ruby used to date Benny Macko. Date? She was married to him. Married to him? Married to him, I think. Oh, I thought they said they were married. Whatever. She used to be pretty seriously involved with him. And um, we also find out that Joe and Ruby have been dating for three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. uh, one, One thing I noted there. They act very they act like they've been dating for six months <laughs> i was gonna say even longer than that I, well, that age, you know they've you been, know been dating for like years i feel like at that age you know what you want so very you know, true that, i mean people get married after like six months sometimes so right because again by that point you kind of know what you're what you're looking for and what you're expecting and yeah exactly what makes you happy what makes them happy but so he he gets a call from old Jerry Duran here and uh, we find out that Julius and Jerry both have the same lawyer and now the deal's all screwed up because he kind of finds out that they're, he's, they've been telling they've, him different things. The right. They've been, he was trying to play them off each other exactly. and it came back to bite him. Um, I, I, here's a scene that I noticed too. He tells Ruby to lock up when she leaves. All right. If they're supposed to be following Joe around, how do they, the surveillance team, see her leaving when they have followed Joe to where he was going? Excellent point. And then they catch Ruby walking out of this place, unless they told him just to case the house. But I assume that they're supposed to be following him around to see if he's doing anything shady. So that was my thing. Yeah, you would think so. Um, they check out uh, Olivia Robodeau's house. They're looking for Cairo. Um, this is where you have like the kind of like the big foot chase kind of water chase is what I call it. You know, Cairo uses, starts out by using a bad uh, paddle boat and like water that's not very deep. I also found out that the guy who played Cairo can't swim <laughs> in real life. Oh, really? <laughs> and he had to, they said he, had, he was like talking about how many times he had to jump in the water. Well, luckily the water's only like three feet deep. But he keeps jumping in. He's like, there's three. It's like three feet of water. He's like, there's two feet of duck shit in here. Yep. <laughs> no, See, no, you got covered. You still got caught, and you're yeah. still covered in duck. Well, it's shit. funny too because 
Joe takes the old man way. He hops in his car and just like watches them and just kind of waits to where he knows where he's going to be while Casey's just the young guy chasing after him running nonstop. I like how he was singing a little bit too as you he chased song him he was singing? I've got sunshine. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Um, had to pay for that too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, They'll get you any way they can. I love whenever Joe finally – he like trips, he trips uh, K Row and stops him. Casey jumps on him, and starts cuffing him, just like so pissed, yelling at him. And Joe just looks at him like a yoga man, just puts him and goes, Center yourself. Yeah, center yourself. I am. I am. I am. His yoga spiritual shit. And the guy's just in the car. K Row's just in the car, just bitching like crazy. So they're just like, We're going to take him to the, to the station, Harbor Division or whatever. Harbor Division. So they take yep. them to this like shady area where I mean we know they're not really going to do anything bad. They're just trying to like rattle them a little bit because you know they're the good guys. They're not going to do anything shady. But as soon as they get there, these hitmen do like a drive-by to try to kill them. What about the worst hitmen ever? They have like the, these guns that like they're like look like they're ready for a war, and they, and they yeah. miss them like they are the worst. Completely. These massive guns with like you know with like the giant box underneath it so they can have like thousands of rounds pretty much yeah and i'm like what the? i'm trying to think I, I think when we used to play goldeneye there was a gun that looked just like that one it's like some like seriously like heavy artillery stuff and this is where we see Cairo pitches himself again and they pretty much know oh you're the guy that saw everything so they take him back to the robodo house and instead of him saying anything he pretty much tells him what happens she I mean, she pretty much yeah. tells him what happens if you know H2 Clip were trying to break their contract, so Sartain had them killed pretty much to set an example to anyone thinking about breaking a contract. Yeah, you keep hearing about Klepto. Klepto, because Klepto is somebody that had died previously. They hit up, they hit it back to the, they do a lot of jumping around. Like, they're here, and then they immediately go to the bar again, and now they're talking about, uh, you think they would still be talking about the case. Now they're talking about Joe and Casey go and they start talking about Casey's father's murder file. And this is where we find out that Leroy Lossley, who's helping out Sartain, was Casey's father's partner. Probably yeah. had something to do with You that. hear about you I think you skipped uh they go to the prison to find out where Sartain was in prison and find out Leroy Wasley's the come that came to vi- person that came to visit him every week. Yeah. And that's when they, he hears Wasley's name. Then they cut to them in the bar talking about the document because he saw Wassily's name and knew he was his dad's partner. And then also at the very end, we find out that Benny Macko could be involved somehow. Yeah, that was one question I had, and I thought maybe I missed something. We can get to that at the end, but they never really say what they booked Macko on. Just they were kind of in cahoots or something like that. I don't know. And that's, I think that's why we find out that Leroy, when he says he's, he's like, Mako, do whatever I tell him. Cause he's yeah. got stuff on him. He's trying to work his way up. Well, it, it could have been. In, and they said that in the, in that dossier, that the officer who walked in and found the body was Benny Mako. And maybe Benny Mako took a payout. And that's kind of why he has him in his pocket at this point. Joe has Ruby meet him up at the Mount Olympus house because he knows that people are, you know, following him around. Casey in his house, yeah. Uh, Casey goes to the shooting range to let out some anger, probably missing every target like he always does. 
I like this line that when he starts getting sexual with uh, Ruby in this one, he goes, if I take my ginkgo, I can still remember where I put the Viagra. I love that line. <laughs> I think it's so funny. So good. But so pretty much, this is when Benny, they show pictures. This is where Benny finds out that, Joan, that Joe's banging his ex-main squeeze, Ruby. Yes, because, uh, well, he, he knows it, but they come in t- they come to the door to get him. And sure enough, he is, she is also there. Well, he knows it because of the pictures. They show him the pictures. Yes. And they're like, this is at his house. She was parked there. Her car was parked out front all night. So then Benny goes to the Mount Olympus house and pretty much catches Joe and Ruby in the act. I love when he, I love when Joe comes out and he just looks at him and he's like yawning and stretching. He's like, ah, what a night. (laughs) Yeah, what a a night. He's just rubbing in a little bit. And that line actually was just off the cuff from your boy there. Harrison Ford. And my favorite part is like during the questioning in the room, this is probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. I'm going to say right now. It's It's awesome. Little back, the little back and forth, the interrogation scene probably is my favorite scene during the questioning. uh, You got in one room. Casey just does not say a word. It just starts doing yoga. He's doing it so long that, even the woman that's in the room questioning him starts like doing like mimic him doing the yoga. I like her little line. She's like, that looks really hard. And she turned his position, his position looks really hard. Yeah. Well, you notice uh, when he starts touching her back to try and help her with her back, she immediately starts to get like turned on by him. Yeah, and she's like, oh, 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 oh. And then she starts, and that's when she starts doing the yoga. And he's like, what? She, he's a tree now? He's a tree? Like, literally just does not say a word the entire time he's in there. And Joe on the other side literally just keeps insulting the guy, questioning him. Losing his mind, I, yeah. I love how he pretty much goes, how does a needle dick pencil pusher like you get assigned to IA? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the whole time just keeps answering his phone you know, trying to sell the house pretty much just going back and forth and, uh, you know, still working on that Julius and Duran deal. Uh, and I, my, she, but probably the favorite little one little line in this whole part is he's just like, you know, none of this will ever stick. And as soon as he says that cuts back to the girl, she goes, I'm sure Joe's next door right now showing professional integrity and it cuts right back to Joe. Like humping the clothes. Yeah, going, and you know and it. You yeah. know it. <laughs> then after this, they leave. We find out that Leon kind of like called a favor and just like got him out because he doesn't know what's going on. Like they're just yeah. trying to frame him for anything they can possibly find. Right. So this is where he has to talk to Cleo. Yes. Cleo pretty much is was approached by Benny and. She's pretty pretty much asked her, hey, if you lie and say that Casey and Joe were sleeping with you and your girls, they'll pretty much lay off her. So she's taking... Yeah, and I wonder if this is what he ends up getting booked for later. He's just trying to frame him now at this point. He can't find anything, so he's trying to frame him. Find out that they're having trouble. They can't find Sartain, so they go try to use Ruby. Of all things. To find him. And uh, Joe's just like, what are you doing? Make flip a coin, make some shit up. Yeah, because if you know, early in the movie, he asked her about how does she do it, and well, she how... goes, "Sometimes something comes to me." She goes, "Sometimes I flip a coin and make shit up." <laughs> yep. And it's kind of funny how this like goes because 
Casey's like all into it, you know, his, you know, yoga spiritual things like, no, Joe, like we gotta like let her do her thing pretty much. Hops in the car, tells them they need to drive, they drive down to Rodeo Drive, and she pretty much goes into the store and just starts shopping. And they're just like, and he just looks, I remember Casey's like, just let her shop. <laughs> yeah, what a waste yeah. of time. And then they walk outside and poof, who do they find? All of a sudden across the street, we see Sartain and Leroy uh, both in the same car. And I like this little part because he sends Casey to go get the car. He keeps going different directions. And you just see Joe all confused, trying to like go back and forth, <laughs> running around all confused. So you have the car chase now. You know, during the car chase, we see Joe. He keeps answering his phone, trying to make this deal on Duran's house the whole time, which I think is hilarious. Because even like Casey asks him during the chase, he's like, so you sell the house? And he's like, oh, you know, they're giving me the runaround, but I'm trying. Yeah, I love the... Uh when they do the casual conversation in the middle of an intense moment in a movie, like a super stressful situation. I, I do find that always to be funny. They're driving in a car. Joe kind of freaks out on Casey and tells him he wants to drive. And when he's driving, they end up just getting into a huge wreck. <laughs> okay. So interesting thing here. The person that's getting their Hollywood star is Robert Wagner. He played number two in Austin Powers. Yes. Robert Wagner has been in the news recently because he was the husband of Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood, the infamous actress who mysteriously fell off her boat and drowned. And on that boat was Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. And it was never solved. And there were rumors that Robert Wood killed her. I'm sorry, Robert Wagner killed her. And it has come full just a couple months ago, his name was back in the news as a potential suspect again. Hmm. And it's just so funny that Robert Wagner is sitting there. Or it was, was that person. So then they start going on foot after the big wreck. Uh, Joe's going after Sartain. Casey obviously is going after Leroy. So what we got here is I'm going to kind of go through the chase with Casey first. So Casey is going after Leroy. Lots and lots of running. He jumps. Jumps off that thing. Oh my God. I don't even know what you call that thing. It's a kiosk. but, But what I found too, is that that wasn't supposed to happen. Like that was the stunt and the guy, the stunt double actually missed his mark. Yeah. Oh, and wasn't supposed to fall like that. Yeah, because that looked brutal. <laughs> very, that looked very, really yes, hurt. It looked very, very painful. He was supposed to have a better landing. And then he goes and he, he steals a van from a guy with a wife and kids still inside. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, I'm superpowers. But that guy put no effort into that guy. He doesn't know he's a cop. Just stealing a van with his wife and kids. And I would have gone nuts. Exactly, yeah. Like he's like, what are you doing? My wife and kids are in there. Do you mind not doing that for like? He, I would have done everything I could to hold on to that van and punch him. And the animal instinct kicks second in. Second off, you would Casey wouldn't steal a van with women and children in. He would have gotten the women and children out first. Yeah, he would have said, "Get out of the car." But again, it made it for again, a funny scene. Yes, it's it's a funny scene in the movie. Yeah, a little known, a little known piece about this. Uh, there's an actress named Jeanette McCurdy. She she did some Disney stuff. She is the little girl in the back of the van. 
she's turned out she's turned out to become very attractive she's in her 20s now but just uh, that was like one of her first acting credits was she's just the girl in the back of the van screaming and crying did not did not know that yeah i love how the kid in the back's just like we're gonna die i know and yeah. he just looks and he's like yes actually we will die so eventually he catches wesley and knocks he gets knocked down and then he starts just you know trying to we really don't know he's acting yet, but he's like crying, acting like a complete wuss the whole time, like begging for his life. Like, but he gets Wesley to confess to pretty much confess to killing his father. And while he's begging, he kind of catches him off guard, trips him, steals the gun, and wings him a couple yep. of times and gets him arrested. So he's caught his guy. During the chase with Joe, I think his chase is a lot funnier. <laughs> It's, oh yeah, it's, it's great. He, so uh, he goes. He tries to steal some massive guy who looks like Frank Thomas. Like, <laughs> yeah, he does look like Frank Thomas. He, but instead, the guy's like pushing him around, and like he's intimidated, so he just steals that little girl's pink bike and screams at like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> As he's going insane, and he's going down the sidewalk. He's like knocking people over and honking the little like horn on the bike. And then he gets just. You know, one of the, it's like one of those scenes where like someone opens the car door at the perfect time and he gets flung over top, like just a classic, you know, gets flung over the, the car door off the bike, gets kicks the old lady out of the, the cab. He's like, this is my cab. Yeah. Starts driving. So he pretty, he steals the old lady's cab, pretty much steals the cab's cab, but the cab come, cabbie comes in and sits with them. Do you realize who the cab driver is? Robinson. Smokey Robinson. I also like how he clicks the, fla- the flare, you know, the fare button start the yeah. fire when he goes and when he gets to where he at he actually has to pay the fare and then like he just like takes yep. the receipt at the end too <laughs> like uh, he's as he's running he runs past julius and julius sees him and he's like not a penny more than six seven five you know when they're trying to still do their deal and he's like yeah i'll yes. I'll, uh, I'll look into it he runs into a building gets into an elevator where he's just like making this like grunting noise <laughs> <laughs> he does. He sounds like he's uh. He's all birth. bloody, holding a gun. Yes, don't forget about holding a gun. gun. Calls Jerry, and there's like four freaked out women on the elevator with him, who try and get off at their floor, and he just kind of hits a button, button and doesn't let him. Upstairs. But he's talking to Jerry, and he tells him the deal of six, seven, five, and he takes it. And he gets all smiling, real happy, and he's like laughing. And like looks at the girl like with the girls with the gun in his hands like it's okay I'm a real estate broker <laughs> yeah they, yeah they're not I'm a cop I'm a real estate broker they're absolutely terrified like they're probably so confused too he's all bloody making noises like talking money on the phone and when they go when he goes through this like office and they have like the little like shootout they walk to that one office and the guy just like calmly points to like the door yeah I I actually noted that down too he was the he just he's booking whatever he's talking about. He's booking something. I, I couldn't remember if it was flowers or food or something. They get to the top of the roof and they have a little like fight. And he bends, he kind of bends Joe Penn's down, like gets him up on his shoulder. And he doesn't do it on purpose. He just like <laughs> loses his balance and just like falls backwards yeah. and lets go of him. And he falls over the edge and he just lands thud right into. Dumpster. Right now, an empty, empty dumpster. If that dumpster was full, I'm not saying he would have lived, but he may have. Maybe. But being that it was empty, it just completely. I also don't get why Antoine Sartain, when he was shooting him, when his gun was out of ammo, 
why he just set it on the ground. And he saw like Persia throwing it out. Well, not even that. It's just like now he knows that you have no ammo left. So we found Benny Mac who gets arrested. Um, we kind of just cut to Casey's performance, uh, the streetcar named Desire, which is kind of bad. <laughs> oh, it's very bad. Uh, but we see Jerry Durant showed up to the performance. Um, a guy gets up and he's like, you suck. And <laughs> Joe grabs him and goes, sit down, show some respect or I'll kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both their phones ring. There's another murder. You know, Casey hurries up the show. Actually, when he picks her up and kind of falls, that was not – that wasn't ad lib like that. Actually, he just fell by accident. He just fell back. So I was gonna say because that's that makes it even. He worse. just fell back by accident and didn't you know even mean to do that. And you know they show up to the scene and pretty much you know it's like write this down: cheeseburger, no mayo. <laughs> He's like no rabbit food in this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we find out that Casey kind of doesn't really want to be an actor anymore. No, he uh, he's he's starting to come around on being a a cop all right mike let's get into the fun stuff thoughts on the movie in general fun movie i think it's super underrated i know it didn't do well in theaters and it doesn't have that high of a score i don't know why the one thing i'll say is one of the things we've kind of complained about is it does run a little long probably a little longer than it needs to be but I, I don't know. I, I really like this movie. It always makes me laugh. It's got some fun action. It's got some good dialogue. What do you think? No, I, I agree. Like I said, I go, it's it's definitely there. There are some slow parts. Maybe for some people, there's a little too much going on with, you know, all the little different small plots. Like it ends up not, it's called Hollywood Homicide, but I feel like the big part of the movie is, one of the main parts of the movie is not even about the homicide. It's about him trying to sell these houses and it's about can be you know it's about uh casey wanting to become an actor yeah and i get that it's you need that in the movie because it kind of adds a funny side plot to them but at the same time i I think you're right i think they probably could have pulled 10 or 15 minutes out of the movie out of that stuff and i think it would have been good i said i i I actually like it a lot because like people you know every day they change jobs and decide they want to do something different so it's something that's kind of realistic people have part-time jobs all the time now very much so you know, half the people that i work with probably have other jobs that they're doing maybe almost all of them have other jobs that they do aaron does uh sells clothing on the side a lot of people do that too they're those kind of like online what is it mtm or or m to m like market to market type jobs even it, yeah and i said i go you know the, the first bit's a little slow but it goes through the whole plot there's not a ton of action which is no real big deal for me it's like i, did, I didn't know you were looking if you're not really looking for an action movie this is fine you know it's yeah it's, the it's, ending, it's, i think i really enjoyed the lightheartedness kind of going on during that chase at the end where it's supposed to be a serious chase but joe's keeping it lighthearted and kind of like tr- still trying to sell the house you know and everything like, I yeah that part of it i go it's no shelton also made the movies bull durham he made White Man Can't Jump, um, which actually a lot of the characters, White Man Can't Jump, when I actually finished watching the director's cut, a lot of the guys that he'd be like, oh, this guy, he was from White Man Can't Jump. This guy was the guy whose car he tried to steal during that chase scene, the big guy that's yeah. Frank Thomas. Like, he's actually from White Man Can't Jump. Like, there's, oh, like, really? <laughs> there's like three or four people probably from the movie that he worked with through White Man Can't Jump that he got to play in the movie. But I still think it's a very enjoyable movie. Yeah. I, you know, possibly the best movie ever about real estate. 
Yeah, I don't know if it would be. I'd have to think of like a potential litigation crime drama type movie, like a real serious one that ended up being involving real estate. But it's it's definitely the best movie about a cop who happens to sell real estate on the side. Okay. Say that much. Yeah. Uh, another thing, I already said this. I love the music uh, in the in the movie. I right. think they did a perfect job of like sliding in in certain scenes in certain places. Again, the Callie in the summertime song, and then that that chase scene with uh, with, uh, with Missy the Missy Elliott song and Ludacris. Well, you know, working with all these mu- musicians, like a lot of different rappers. You know, Gladys Knight. We said we saw uh, Smokey Robinson. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of like they probably. Could probably get tons of suggestions. Like I said, I know that Gladys Knight suggested the ringtone be "My Girl." Oh, I didn't. I, I forgot you said that. Yeah, that's uh... when I watched the director's cut. He he told he told that, and I was like, oh, like you know, obviously they got some stuff from the people working in the movie too. Yeah, no, that was a that was a nice little Easter egg in there. Uh, this was right as Harrison Ford started to become eclectic. Harrison Ford. He moved to Wyoming. He became a pilot. This is when he got that that one earring. Like this is when he started getting a little bit goofy. I think he just kind of almost he'd been famous for so long. Like he was awesome. And like, well, know, yeah, you go back to nineteen seventy seven with Star Wars. That was his breakout. You know, he was he was also in uh, what's that war movie? Why can't I think of it right now off the top of my head? You know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Oh yeah. Um... Not Platoon. Um, Apocalypse <laughs> Now. Yeah, Apocalypse yeah. Now. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he even was in American Graffiti, which was George Lucas's first big movie. And that's actually how he ended up in Star Wars. But that's a different story. Whole another day. We'll do a whole thing on Harrison Ford someday about his history. But and you look at that. That's almost at this point, almost thirty years. Yeah, at this point, it's been about thirty years of being in movies. And you're right. You just you're famous for so long. Well, they always say if you're if you're poor and weird, you're just weird. But if you're rich and weird, you're eclectic. Well, for for him, it's like you know, it's he's he's done everything. He's you know, he's made so much money. I think he kind of just wanted. He's probably was taking. He was he wasn't taking those big roles. He's taking these lesser roles a lot of the time. Like there were certain movies that I saw with him, and like I saw the movie Morning Glory with Rachel McAdams, which I liked a lot. I thought it was a really good. I don't movie. think I've ever seen that one. Uh, it's a good one. It's something you could watch with Aaron too. She would enjoy it. All right, I'll keep that one in mind. But like, there you know, there's a lot in there that like I did haven't even watched that he's in. Like I actually haven't watched, but um, a handful of the ones that I've seen that just like got real bad reviews. And there's a one that he was in with like a couple of years ago with like Brendan Fraser, and I was just like, well, Brendan Fraser's in it. I'm not watching it. Yeah, the one he did with Blake Lively, where she never ages. Oh, uh, that doctor one, yeah. I can't think of what it's called, but that was another one that it actually like I watched the trailer and I said, that's an interesting premise. I, I think I might, you know, I, I, if, a, if a movie has a decent premise and some decent actors, I, I may be willing to give it a shot. But I just never sat down and watched it. So I was going to say, I mean, Morning Glory came out in like 2010. I'm actually looking back now just to see what it came out. But you had that pretty much from probably... I remember Air Force One was in '97. You had the Six Days and Seven Nights in 1990. Yeah, which was okay, that, which that I, was, I thought it was an okay movie. It was decent. I enjoyed. I, I think it was underrated. And then you had What Lies Beneath, which I thought was actually pretty good because he ends up being you know the bad guy in it, which is kind of a nice twist. 
then you had like K-19 and you have like all these like firewall I thought was decent, but then you had stupid and you didn't do a lot of movies actually between 2000 and 2009. He, you know, has, yeah, he kind of laid back like a little five bit. Five movies pretty like five, six movies pretty much. He doesn't have a lot going on. Then he started to pick up a little bit and you know, movies that like morning glory, I thought was decent. Cowboys and aliens was, you know, super far fetched and crazy. And I think they kind of tossed He's playing, you know, a role that's not typical for him in that movie. That's really. one I haven't seen yet. But it's it's an okay movie. I think it's an okay movie. It's very far fetched. You know, it's like pretty much like we're so used to seeing alien movies happening like now. Like oh, yeah. now like no. But what if they came back? You know, then you know it, it makes sense that way. I thought it was enjoyable. I know my yeah. brother too. And he had like Ender's Game and then Anchorman Two. Then you had the Expendables, which are he was good in Forty Two. Did you see Forty Two about Jackie yeah, Robinson? That, that was one that I hadn't seen. That's on my list. It, that I it's pretty see. good. It's actually pretty good. It's a little tough because it's they hold very true to the racism of the period. So it feels a little weird watching it today. But you got to remember what you're watching. It's ve- it's very good though. It, it's pr- it's very well done. But then you know it's like you have the Star Wars Force Awakens that he did. That's got. I thought was good. I thought he, you know, yeah, made his typical Han Solo did a good mm-hmm. job. And then you know the Blade, the new Blade Runner that came out that I thought was really, really good. He I still haven't seen that one yet. You said he, it's pretty good though. He did a pretty awesome job in it. Uh, Age of Adeline is the one I was talking about with Blake Lively, okay. where she never ages, and because they had when they were going to make the Solo movie, they were talking about using the person that played him, the young version of him in Age of Adeline, because he looks and has the exact mannerisms of Harrison Ford. And they decided to go a different direction. They say that Solo was a flop. It made, I think, $300 million. For a Star Wars movie that cost $250 million, $300 million is a flop because the promotionals they'll do is about another $100 million. So they probably end up losing money on that movie. You get, you get about double your you're making so if you don't yeah because people are expecting a return on investment they don't want to get back just what they put in they want to get back an actual return they've actually supposedly they've suspended production of the one-off additional one-off movies there was boba fett was going to be coming uh there was rumors of a chewbacca movie the one i've wanted to see for a long time especially after i watched the end of revenge of the i'm sorry yeah revenge of the sith I wanted a movie that was from the end of that movie to Vader building the Empire. I thought that would be so good. I'm waiting. I want that movie, but who knows? You have to think by this point, they could have sat down like they did with Tupac somehow, record James Earl Jones' voice saying every word in the Oxford English language and splice it all together and they could have made 600 Vader movies if they wanted. Anyways, back to Harrison Ford. Maybe we'll move on from Harrison Ford and go to best scene. <laughs> well, I was going to say real quick, uh, two more things. Josh Hartnett. And we'll do Josh Hartnett when we do 40 days and 40 nights. Cause we're really going to get into his career, but he was like ready to become a superstar. And then he just started to hate Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he, he ended up running away from it. I think he moved to Minnesota and started farming and stuff. He came back, I think, did one movie, but you kind of feel bad because he was. It was he and I remember he and Ryan Felipe were like neck and neck in the early 2000s. And then they 
Felipe kind of fell off and Hartnett fell off. But my other question is, who gets more ass? Josh Hartnett in movies or Josh Hartnett in real life? Probably movies. <laughs> Man, he every movie he's in he cleans up, but you gotta well, other than Black Hawk Down, but you gotta think he cleans up in real life too, right? Probably. Yeah. All right. Best scene. When they're getting questioned in the different rooms. Yeah, the inter- I, I have the, the interrogation. Inter- yeah, that's what it should be. The interrogation. The interrogation scene I said and I put underneath it the uh I did enjoy the elevator scene when he's making the elevator this- scene's pretty good too. Yeah. In general, that whole scene it, itself. But yeah, if you squeeze it down, I, I would say when they're driving in the car and he's answering the phone. Uh, so I, was, I was really trying to pick because I was like, I could just say the last 20 minutes. Yeah, no, I, and I, if I were to say out of that last 20 minutes, that like three minutes where he's trying to broker it while he's on the phone. And then right before the elevator scene, when he's running by Julius and offering the like this negotiating as he's sprinting, chasing Antoine Sartain. Worst scene. I have... It's kind of just I tossed in when they're killing the hitmen when uh, Wasley's like talking to them, you know, and then he just he kills them and then puts them in the car. And it's like there's no talk, kind of rambling on while he's like dumping gasoline on him. I was like listen, watching it, listening to it. I was like, what is he talking about? This what makes- is the I, I actually I watched it twice. And this is as I was saying, he is the whole time he's talking about Benny Macko. And how long he's known Benny Macko. And that Benny Macko is someone that's going to do whatever it takes to try and advance his career. And he's the one feeding all the information to Benny Macko. So that's what the whole thing is about. And it took several times of watching this movie and hearing him talk on that scene. You don't really tie it together until you actually realize that that's who he's talking about is Macko later. But that's what he's rambling about. I think what frustrates me a little bit is that there is no like – they just, you know, fired off some rounds of gunshot. You know, anybody could show up at any time. They're just casually dumping gasoline on there. No sense of urgency. Agreed um, to that. Definitely to agree to that. That's a little bit. They are a little bit too casual in L.A. to be gunshots going off like that and no one saying anything. You thought at least use a silent or a, compre- a suppressor to. Yeah. And then the only other one of the other parts that I put down is. At the very end, it's one of the few things I don't like at the very end is right when Casey gets knocked down by Wasley and he's like begging for his life. He just randomly, oh, yeah, somehow in there he had a, you know, a recorder in his pocket, got it started recording. Yeah. About him admitting that he killed Casey's fa- father. Like that super like weak grab the gun, flipped him on the ground and everything. It was just I didn't think it was a very good. And then it shows that he can't hit anything, but he's like winging him on at will. You know, shooting the guy. Yeah, he hit him in the arm like three or four times. He didn't kill him. He didn't miss. He hit him all in the arm. I just thought it was kind of. I thought that scene, like after they did it, I would have been like, "Let's reshoot this and do this." Yeah, (laughs) I think. I think we. I think they. They may have missed the mark a little bit on that one. So, uh, I had that when she when they use her as the psychic to find them. I know it's supposed to be kind of goofy, but that one threw me off a little bit. I, I I could have done without that I, they could have had a lot of different ways that they found them but i get like she brought them there and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek and they see him across the street and because it's, it's something that you don't think harrison Ford do you think that casey would be the one to suggest that well he's he you know he says that he says here's a long shot and then 
Casey's the one getting into it and Gavilan's going, this is ridiculous, make something up. But you're right, it's his idea in the first place and then he's kind of against it the whole time. Is is it one or the other? You know, and it's like, you're supposed to just get the thing, you know, whether she actually had a feeling or not, you know, a lot of the times you just get lucky. Like when I got, we got robbed at gunpoint, well, you weren't there, but we got robbed at gunpoint, they randomly just pulled over a car and they found right. the gun in the car. Right. <laughs> and we caught the guys. Who they say them. a lot of cops things are, they just got a tip or they got lucky. Like when they solve crimes, they do, they do a lot of legwork, but a lot of the times they get a big break just from luck or some, some random event happening. So, all right, that goes right in our next thing, which is, I know it's a movie, but, we can we just kind of complained about the psychic thing. We mentioned this earlier. Ruby and Gavilan seem a lot more involved the two people that have been dating for three weeks. Like she knew knew where the key to the house would be. I think that was and... a guess. She's like, How did you know where the key was? And she's just like That's because she's psychic. You're missing you know, my air quotes just, saying that, but <laughs> you know. I, I, I think it was more just where would he have a key in, you know, under the mat or under, you know, and he wasn't doing a very good job of trying to hide the key either you know no no he wasn't but just the way they are around each other and the way they act it seems like people that have been around each other for a lot longer and maybe that's as you said it's you know what you want when you're at that age so that might be it gavelin never would have caught sartain on that train he (laughs) He never never, would have caught up to him he never would have caught him in general because sartain is like he looks athletic and fast he's athletic and he's like 30 years younger than him. I wouldn't say 30 because that Harrison's probably, you know, 55 maybe in this movie or something. Yeah, so know. we'll say 20 years younger than him. Maybe. Yeah. He's maybe for maybe he's pushing 40, but still like in. Yeah, Sartain looks like an athlete. Yeah. And he's he's sprinting, chasing him. But yeah, and <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised Harrison Ford didn't pull an ankle or blow or pull a, a hamstring or blow out an ankle trying to do that scene. I know. But even I was just doing the math. Look, I ride the train to work every day. When it hits the city, it's out of the city in shorter the amount of time that he goes to just the next stop. So, and the doors do not stay open that long for him to go all the way down, poke in, look at him, get shot at, chase back out like that. None of that would have happened. So, again, I know it's a movie. Uh, Here's one. With all the shooting that happens, no bystanders are hit, including all the way back to when Casey shoots it the car and puts one through the uh, I think it's a the pedestrian crossing sign and misses people. But when they're shooting in front of the Chinese theater, they're shooting in that building, they're shooting in the street uh, down by the, the train station. Not one bystander gets hit. Just to piggyback off that, I had, I know it's a movie, but, but I tossed in that they just pull their guns out for everything. Yeah, they do. Those guns are out for everything. Anything that's kind of shady, like they're pulling gun. I go, I've heard noises in my house and I've walked in and I don't have a gun. And it's like, and it, but if I did, I still wouldn't pull my gun out. You know, it's like, it, yeah, you don't want to accidentally pull that trigger. Yeah. Like shooting at the repo guys and stuff like yeah. that. Like, <laughs> and like they're, even if they are stealing a car, you wouldn't pull your gun out in the middle of. And a cop you know, definitely would not shoot at people driving a car like that. Yeah. They never would have done that. But last thing I have is, so I looked it up. A Mustang Saline, which is what Casey's driving is at minimum a $75,000 car. That's why he's doing, making that 800, 800 bucks a class. Yeah, I guess, but man, that's $75,000 car. That's a $1,000 a month car payment minimum, plus insurance. Unless he put some money down. 
that is with money down. That's with maybe. like standard money down. Maybe maybe he got some money when his dad died. Maybe he got some money when his dad died. But yeah. you know, he's supposed to be a cop driving a car and or just be on a cop salary with a, with a little bit extra, and he's got a seventy five thousand dollar Mustang saline. It's like he said, making twenty bucks a head, and he was like eight hundred bucks, and that's a class. Like how many classes does he teach? Even if he teaches a couple classes, like three classes a week, you know, he's making. Yeah, maybe, maybe he make a couple thousand dollars a month. He can make, he can, he can make three, five grand a month, and he's banging chicks. And he's banging chicks. <laughs> Don't forget that part. Uh, anything else from you? Oh yeah, I'm, I mean, it was some stuff we probably already talked about. You know, like stealing the minivan with the wife and kids in it. Like, yes. Come on. Like. I understand that's part of the humor, but that would never happen. Um, and when he, when Harrison Ford's chasing Sartain, why does everybody go upstairs where there's no escape? I always, always in a movie they go upstairs. They have to. It's like why? I was like watching. I was like, why is he going upstairs? I don't know. One other thing I forgot since we're doing this because we already already said it earlier, but the fifteen shots versus sixteen shots in the parking lot with the crazy guy with the gun. I didn't try to count or anything. But. No, I, I counted it, and then I went back and said, wait, I got 16. Let me count that again. Maybe I missed one, but it is. It's 16 bullets. Hmm. So right. I th- that, was a, a, th- that was an editing error. They put one too many sounds in. When they crash and are shooting the guns, right whenever – I can't remember. Who's the actor that's getting his hands put in the cement? Uh, Robert Wagner. There's gunfire going off, and they're still like on their knees like going through everything. Yeah. Wouldn't you be up running? Also, wouldn't there be other security for an event like this around? Like that probably would. The probably this whole thing would probably ended right around that because there have been under security, seeing what was going on and like trying to stop people. <laughs> that, I, that I was just like, there probably would have at least been a cop somewhere in range. Also, yeah. not just security, but probably a cop hanging around. So, just a small thing. I was like, when there are plays going on and the phones go off, like I'm pretty sure back then, I know back then in 2003, phones still had freaking vibrate. Phone vibrate. <laughs> yes, yes. Last thing, Cleo. Yeah. You're trying to be discreet. Why are you being chauffeured around on a stretch limo? You want to know why Vice is on your ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, Stop you, showing off your money. You're, you're, you're pretty much... Because they're like, what's your job? And they, they know you're doing something illegal now. It's like, come on. Oh, one more thing. I'm sorry. One, I'm sorry. You, that's it for you, right? Yeah, that's it for me. One more thing. They never officially say what Benny Macko's being charged with when they arrest him at the end. Is they, it at forcing Cleo to lie about them? Is it uh, working with Wasley? They never really they, said. They're like, you're under arrest. And they never said, you're under the arrest for. They just say, you're under arrest, and they take him away, and that's it. Somewhere in behind the scene, we, we could have seen, you know, maybe Joe had said something to, you know, Leon about the case with like his father, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, he probably could have brought up the case with the father. They, they could have had, again, it's already long enough, but they could have had a two minute scene where he says, Benny Mac was probably dirty because he got money from Wasley to keep quiet when, when this happened. Also, Cleo told me that she made a deal with Mako to lie about the kid and I having sex parties with her with her girls. Yeah. And that would have been, all right, well, then if you can get that on record, then we got him. So um, I don't know. But that, that was one thing that they just never said. They said, you're under arrest. And then they never say what you're under arrest for. They never went any further. But could have been cut. You know, they normally film three hours, four hours worth of material and then have to keep cutting stuff out. So. 
Yeah. Best line. Yes. My favorite was well, I have two. I have uh, I have more time on the third four clapper or third four crapper than you do on the fours. And if I take my ginkgo, if I take my ginkgo, I can still remember where I put the Viagra. Those are my I, two favorite. I, I have that one, and then when he says "fuck you" very much, <laughs> very short, very poignant. I'm, I know I've used that line in my life before. Oh, I, I'm sure I have too. Uh, favorite character. I got Joe Gavlin down. Joe Gavlin, yeah. I gave Wasley a nod. I like Wasley. I think he's he's good as the bad guy. He, he definitely, definitely, he's he's solid. Yeah, he's solid. He's a solid bad guy. Dwight Yoakam's a, a fun guy to have in a movie. Worst character. I don't really have one. I mean, Ruby and Cleo are kind of meh, nah, but they're necessary evils, so they cast them well for who they were. Yeah. Like I said, I go. I said I could just do without Cleo at all in the entire movie. You cut all those scenes out and not even have her in it because you could totally do this movie. You know, you easy. could, but it was like an important. It was a plot line because he didn't get really any information from her. No, the only thing, the only thing they got is that, that at the very end he was in a rush because she lied, but he could have said they're going to try to arrest you anyways, you know, like they could have, they could have made something else. Up. Yeah. Just... You know what? They actually, now that we, we say it, we probably, they probably could have cut her out. Had the thing that he brought it up, but never had the conversation at the dinner table. And then the meeting there, although they had, I guess they had to point out that they were going to turn on him, but they didn't have to meet. She could have called him and told him. She could have called him and told him, or it could have been Benny Macko could have said something, but I don't know. I, I also had down that, he wasn't horrible, but I don't know. He just didn't rub me the right way. But Sartain, Isaiah Thomas, just really didn't. He was a main character, so I kind of wanted to try to pick somebody who was a little bit more one of the main guys that I could do that I thought maybe was. Like I, thought I, have was a good, I have a good recast for him later. Yeah, just I have, I have someone that I think would be better better as him. We need a name for this, so people listening, please send ideas to us. Top five movies or top five appearances from – our actor or actress of the week. This week is Bruce Greenwood. I've got a top five. Do you want to go first? Or do you want to go second, Mike? Um, sure. I'll go first. Uh, sort of saying that Bruce Greenwood, I think he's not used in enough stuff because everything that when I see him in movies, like there's not really, he's playing small roles a lot of time, but I really like him when he's in the movies. Like he does. Yeah, really I agree. He, he plays his characters really well. Number five, I put down Hollywood Homicide, or I kind of have it. I hadn't se- I hadn't seen the movie in so long, so I really can't hundred percent remember. But I remember him being in it. I remember thinking he did a good job. But in the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. See, I've never seen that one, and I, I've uh, heard it's you, very good. You, you would like that one too. Uh, I have I Robot. Another one I haven't seen yet. You haven't seen somehow. I I, somehow I missed that movie. That was one of those movies that when we were in college. I felt like it was all over the place, but somehow I just always skipped out on it. Um, National Treasure. Okay. Where he's president. Number two, I put down Double Jeopardy. If you've ever seen Double Have you seen Double Jeopardy yet? I have seen Double Jeopardy. Actually, I saw it not that long ago. Oh, yeah, I like that movie. It's a good one. It happened to be on, and Aaron and I sat down. We're like, wow, we forgot this movie's really good. And then number one, I have, I just wrote down Star Trek because he's in the first two, but I really think that he nailed the role that he needed to be for that 
for this part. So like, he'd be I, really good. I have a similar list, and I think I'm going to throw you a Bruce Greenwood li- uh, lifeline, Mike. Number five, I have Dinner for Schmucks. If you've seen that movie, he plays the Paul Rudd's boss. Yep. Number four, I have Double Jeopardy. Number three, I have because he I have Hollywood Homicide because I, I I actually like him in this movie. He plays exactly what he's supposed to be, and he plays it really well. Yeah. Number two, I have there's a TV show he's on right now that he has a very prominent role in called The Resident. It's on Fox. It's really good. I think you'd like it. Yeah, it, I haven't it's a, it's another medical drama with the guy who's the doctor who's really smart and knows everything, but he's young and he's cocky and he's um, plays by his own rules. But Bruce Greenwood plays the chief of surgery who becomes the CEO of the hospital, who's the main antagonist. But he's really good as the antagonist. I mean, he plays the exact role he always plays, the stiff who's um, you know plays by the rules and and all that. He's really good in it though. You hate him. The way you should. Uh, and number one, I have Star Trek and Star Trek 2. I like him a lot in those. I think he's very good. Well, I have to check out The Resident. So for those of you that like Bruce Greenwood, check out The Resident. It's a good show. The first season ended not that long ago. I think it's only 13 episodes. So you can go probably Fox streaming. would probably have um, you know Fox on demand. you probably catch up. All right. Internet facts. There's some long ones here, so stick with me. There's a bunch of stuff that was out there. Reportedly, Harrison Ford and Josh Hartnett did not get along during production, and neither were very warm to each other when they got went out to go and promote the movie. Hartnett later revealed in an interview that he and Ford got along better by the end of the filming, but said that there were times they would end up just sitting in the car when they were supposed to be doing a scene, and neither would say anything for like an hour. I never noticed that in the movie after I read that. I kind of paid attention. You can see that there are times where they're not, their chemistry is not great. And, and maybe that's part of the said, reason the movie failed a little bit. I said definitely. And you can probably definitely see that earlier in the movie where I think that Harrison Ford kind of just mails in a few lines, you know, like <laughs> he, he does mail things in a little bit you can tell he did not put a ton into this movie. But this, like I this said, is not I, one of his best. As the movie progressed, he seemed a little bit better, which makes which when I read that and said that because I actually read that same fact and I was like, you know what? I bet that that he started to get into it a little bit more as the movie went and started enjoying it. I wish he would have brought that the whole movie, I think, would have been a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, Next, Gavilan is based on Robert Souza, who was a homicide detective in the LAPD Hollywood division and mood lit as a real estate broker in his final 10 years on the job. The scene where the cuffed crook steals the gun from a patrol officer's belt and starts shooting off in the parking lot actually happened while Sousa was a cop. Sousa's, uh, you hear his name a lot. I, was he, I forget, was he the director, producer, just an add-on? I forget. Who, Robert Sousa? Yeah. He, I believe, was like a co-writer for the movie, actually. Yeah, like- uh, that, that sounds about right, yeah. According to the DVD commentary, the roles that Harrison Ford and Josh Hartnett play in the movie are almost reversed in real life. Gavilan, played by Harrison Ford, is a good shot and almost a stunt driver. Calden is a lousy shot and driver. In reality, Ford does not like guns and is a very poor shot at best, while Hartnett is a very good marksman, having been through actor basic training for two other movies, Pearl Harbor and Black Hawk Down. Hartnett, on the other hand, or sorry, um, Harden, on the other hand, does not like to drive while Ford is, according to Rod Shelton, 
a maniac behind the steering wheel. H2O Click, as you said originally on, is really the 504 Boys, a New Orleans-based hip-hop group that Master P is a producer for. This one threw me off a little bit. The roles of Gavilan and Calden were originally slated for John Travolta and Joseph Gordon-Lovett. That would have been a terrible movie. Agreed. Now, that was John Travolta had just come off a swordfish. So he still had it. He still had it. But, I mean, Joseph Gordon left it almost feels a little too young. Yeah, he was – that was like 10 things I hate about you. No, I guess a little bit after that. But still, he I agree. He would have been too young. Casey Calden supposed to be in his mid-20s. And Joseph Gordon Lovett looked like he was 11. So I don't think it would have worked. You know, not even that. Like maybe he's like thirty, because I feel like you you're probably a uniform cop for a while, and you have to show that you're. Yeah, I guess you're right. He probably was in his late twenties. Because Joseph Gordon left like two years older than me, so you know at this point, yeah, he would have been let's see, two thousand three. So yeah, that'd been twenty. Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, he would have been too young. You're right. You would have to be a beat cop for a while then before you become a homicide, before you become a detective. A couple other casting things: Mel Gibson. Kurt Russell, Jeff Bridges, Tommy Lee Jones, Nick Nolte, Richard Gere, Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone were all considered to play Joe Gavilan. Like, how many freaking people did you consider? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if they just said, hey, this wouldn't be a bad idea, does that mean considered? That's, that's you know, half of the main actors in that age range at the time. So, I don't know what the how much truth there is to that, but, but they might have wrote that and thought about it. Like a lot of them, they're gonna like. I'm fine with Mel Gibson. I'm fine with Kurt Russell, Jeff Bridges, even even Tommy Lee Jones, Nick Nolte. Like I uh, know, like Richard Gere and uh, no. Michael Keaton. I've Keaton would have been good. Like Alec Baldwin depends on which Baldwin you get. Yeah, and Bruce, Bruce Willis would be fine. But like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like no, like not. That's not really his type of role. I feel like no, and Stallone's like, a little too serious too. Like Schwarzenegger. I don't think Schwarzenegger could have carried the dialogue. Schwarzenegger, when Schwarzenegger's funny, it's more unintentionally funny versus actually funny. Although he has gotten funnier over time. Yeah. Uh, the film was originally going to be a drama before the infamous Suge Knight complained to the producers and it was turned into a comedy instead. I don't know how much validity there is to that either, but it wouldn't surprise me. Suge Knight's a very scary person. I believe he's in jail for murder. Uh, probably. I think he is in jail, but I forget where for what. At one point, Hollywood Homicide, SWAT, and The Italian Job were all filming in the streets of downtown L.A. at the same time. And that sounds about right, because they all were came out about in, the, in 2003. Uh, you already pointed out, Gavilan's frequently heard cell phone ring as the opening riff of My Girl, while Casey Colton's phone plays Funky Town. The hip-hop club was used as the base of operations in 2001's Ocean's Eleven, which is pretty cool. And you heard me mention before, Jeanette McCurdy is the little girl in the backseat of the van, and she's, uh, we'll just say, very attractive now. That's, that's all the stuff I had. Like I said, a lot of them are long there. Mike, did, I, did you catch anything else? Let me see. Like I said, I, I did sit down. Because we had to take a few breaks between the plot and this. And when I watched the director's commentary, it's just something that I noticed. We were talking about Star Trek. Okay. Okay. 
the repo guy with the backwards hat. Mm-hmm. He plays Cupcake. In Star Trek? Yeah, the guy who like, gets a fight with in the bar and then... Oh, the yeah. And he's actually in this... He's actually in the second one as well, I know. He's the one that goes on, like, the boarding party with him to, like, go get Khan, like, in, on the Klingon planet. Gotcha. But it's, like, funny. It's, like, those are years later, and I was, like, he looks like he pretty much has not, like, aged a day. <laughs> yeah, he looks the same. I was, like, good for him. Um, I also, in the director's company, they talked about the morgue scene was supposed to be a lot more graphic, but apparently the ratings board went, like, nuts. Like, we're, like, we're previewing the scene that they wanted to show, and pretty much we're like just walking out of the screening because it was too graphic for him <laughs> well we have an ex-cop he's gonna give you the the real stuff the lawyer that for duran and julius is played by frank sinatra jr so you have another oh there. there you go okay and i said earlier that julius i thought was masterpiece's real name but i was wrong and it's masterpiece first name is really percy so I just wanted to correct myself. If you're ever looking for an interesting game to play, you can go online, I think, and they have it's uh, Congressman or Rapper. And it's like the rapper's real name, or they like give a name, and you have to guess is it a rapper's real name, or is it a congressman? Like a United States congressman. Because if you said Curtis Jackson, you'd say, is that a rapper or a congressman? And that's a rapper. That's 50 Cent's real name. Mm hmm. And, uh, God, I forget what Snoop's real name is, but it's real funny because you have some really obscure rappers whose name's like Bill Simpson. And it's not actually, he's, but it's his name's, I don't know, some ridiculous rap name. Cheese Puff or something. Anyways. All right. My favorite part. Should the movie be remade? I'm going to kind of say not really. Because I don't think it would go far, but I have a fun recast for it. The other question, should there be a sequel? We added this this time around uh, upon your suggestion, Mike, and I liked it. Well, some movies I think, you know, deserve it. Like this one, I definitely don't think you should make a sequel. Cause yeah, I, I don't think you'd get them to sign on. And it's well, Harrison Ford's he'd definitely be retired by now you know 15 years later if he's like 55 he's gonna be 70 there's no way he's yeah it's still a cop i mean you could pull the uh we need you for one last gig or it was a a murder that was 20 years ago that went unsolved that you were working on and we want to bring you back in kind of thing you could definitely pull that off but i i don't know if i don't know if it would work plus josh hartnett has essentially shunned hollywood anyway so I'm sorry, I forgot to ask you. Should it be remade, Mike? Um, I think it could be remade. I think they you get the uh, the right director for it. They could really like hit it up and like get some better actors. They used a lot of like rappers. That I feel like this is kind of like their first movie being in a lot of people that were er- earlier on. Uh, so I'm, they probably didn't get as good of a product out of them as they wanted to. Okay. I, I I agree to that. Um, you'd have to get the right writers too, because I think the dialogue is going to be really important to make sure it's quick and funny. I'm not saying quite Aaron Sorkin style quick and funny, but I think you're going to have to have good kind of back and forth between Gavilan and Calden 
And I think if there was a little bit more of them ribbing against each other, I think that would have made it better too. And that actually is along with who I recast it with. So my recasting, Bruce Willis playing Joe Gavlin. No surprise he was thought of before, but I think at this point he's right towards the uh, end of where his career would be. He would be in his last few years as a cop. Maybe he's still, if he's in the form of, oh, I have, I'm in financial debt. That's why he's hanging on and still working. You could totally play that off as the cop who is just going through the motions and gets dragged into a case that brings him back kind of thing. So he's the older cop. We don't have to keep the same names for, for all of this, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the younger one, his name's Teron Edgerton. He's the guy from the Kingsman Secret Service. He's the young kid. I think he'd be a good – he's like around the right age to be the the younger cop or Casey Calden. I have Catherine Keener to play Ruby. Catherine Keener's from like 40-Year-Old Virgin, the one that Steve Carell ends up with. Yeah. To play Cleo, I picked Busy Phillips. She's kind of goofy. She could be a little more lighthearted than the Cleo that was that was there. For Antoine Sartain, I have Shiwatel Ijoa for. He is the guy from 12 Years a Slave. I've seen him play a bad guy before, and I'm trying to remember what else, but I think he'd be really good for Antoine Sartain. He's about the right age. He could play off that he did some time in the clink. I think he would be really good for that. For Wasley, I think this is my best recast all. Uh, sorry, my best recast out of all of them. Liev Shriver. He already plays a fixer in his uh, TV show. Um, oh crap, what's that show called? What's the one on Cinemax that he has? Crap, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I know, I know what you're talking about. It's like a name. Um, yeah, it's whatever his character's name is. Ray Donovan. There you go. He already plays a fixer. So it's kind of a nice transition. Uh, and last, I have to play Benny Macko. I didn't try and go in some of the other characters, but to play Benny Macko, I went for it with uh, Christopher Maloney. He's from Law & Order SVU, the, the main character guy who's like real short haircut, kind of bald. I figured he'd be a good person to play Benny Macko. And I tried to look up someone that's around the same age as Leah Shriver because they'd have to have been in the academy together. I think he's a few years younger, but they, they, they look – around the same age enough. So what do you think? You got a pretty solid cast there. Say what I did with Joe Gavin. I wrote down a couple names that you could possibly use. Sure. Go for it. Some of them, you know, they're all actors that are, they might be in their like, you know, early fifties, late fifties. Yeah. Bruce Willis was a little bit older. I think he's a little closer to 60, but I, uh, I, he was the only one that I kind of went a little bit out of range. He, he, he definitely would fit. We fit the bill, though. He would totally work. Um, he always actually, was a cop, too. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I thought about him, too. Um, but I was just like, I went a little different route. I was, my first thing I thought, I was like, you could maybe even use like a guy like Tom Cruise. Even though he's is 50, I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's very like physically fit. Yeah. The only so problem I have with Tom Cruise. He can make, make it a little bit more actiony. Is I, I, he can be funny, but only in very limited situations. Like uh, Tropic Thunder, but I don't think he'd be able to hold the dialogue in a comedic sense. You know what I mean? Well, I'm also saying too is that like it's going to be a remake, 
So that's what I'm saying. It all depends. That's what true. Way that's true. It depends on which way the movie goes. He may not be as funny of a guy. You know, there could be could be switched around a little bit. And I'd be see what I'd be. It'd be curious to see what he be like in more of a comedy because most of his action there is comedy in some like well like that. he has a little note on tom cruise i mean it's no it's no secret that he's a little bit nutty and this the church of scientology has a massive amount of influence over his life he has a team of people that are very very careful about how he's perceived in every movie he does and that's probably why he doesn't do something a little more comedic Again, he was so good in Tropic Thunder. I wish he did more stuff like that. But I think one of my favorite picks, favorite couple picks here for him would be I threw down I threw down Woody Harrelson. Oh yeah, there you go. Very <laughs> Woody Harrelson would be really good for that. Um, I even threw down like you know possibly like Russell Crowe. Sure. Because um, he you know he he did that the good guys. I was gonna say he just did that. Have you watched that? Did a very yeah, it was, it was a pretty good movie. I tried watching it. I think it was just bad timing. I think it got broken up on me a couple times, and I ended up not getting through it. But I've heard it's very good. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. But it's kind of like it's they're not cops by any means, you know. Yeah, they're he's a PI, but isn't he? They're they're like both pretty much like PIs. I think. Okay, well I'll add that to the to the list of movies I need to see then because I as I said I started watching it. And then I, I don't know. I just got a. It, it. I couldn't stay focused on it. I think I just couldn't couldn't finish it. And I just tossed Brad Pitt in there just for fun. Sure. He totally could. He totally could. He could do both. He could play that kind of comedy if he needed to. Brad Pitt can play whatever he wants. Um, but I just I, Tom Cruise and him. I thought were a little too young looking and athletic looking, maybe for the part. But I thought yeah, I think Woody Harrelson is perfect. I, I like Woody Harrelson more than Bruce Willis. And then I went with Casey. I didn't go as young as you. I went with Channing Tatum. Sure. Probably, no, Channing Tatum uh, would yeah. be pretty good. I think he'd be pretty good there, too. You're right. He's a little bit older. He might have to be, instead of being be, like three weeks as a detective, maybe like three years as a detective. He could he could easily play, you know, like a 30-year-old guy being a detective or a 35-year-old guy being a detective. You know, little, little twist if it's Channing Tatum. He doesn't want to get into acting. He wants to get into dance. He's a part-time stripper or something, you know. Well, I mean, even like, like professional dance, not like stripper dance. Like he wants to do the the real stuff. Like he wants to be a backup dancer for Janet Jackson or something. For Leon, I put down. I would if I picked these characters, especially one of them, it would he would take a, make it a little bit bigger of a role. But I put down like Samuel Jackson or Forrest Whitaker. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Forrest Whitaker always plays in that spot. So does Samuel. So those are both good. You could even throw in uh, what's his face from uh, we just talked about him in the last movie. Uh, from when we were talking about waiting. Oh, yeah. um, what's his name? I can't remember his. He was an iRobot. He was the captain of iRobot. I'll I'll look him up while you're while you're right. while you keep going because he, he has he has a he has a bit of an a goofy name. It's not Steve or something. All right, um, but we got like I said, Casey Channing Tatum. I put down for Julius. I kept it within the music role, and I said Puff Daddy could play it because he's been in other movies. Yeah, and he can um, act a little bit. He, actually, he acts pretty well. I saw him in Get Him to the Greek, and I really enjoyed it. Chai McBride, by the way. That's his mm-hmm. name. For Sartain, I put down Idris Elba. Yeah, Elba would be a good one, too. I, I was trying to think. When I was doing it, I was trying to re- kind of make a little switch and reverse the roles, like keep the names of Wasley and Sartain, but make Sartain the lawyer and Wasley the – the music producer, 
And the longer I tried to do it, the harder I, it was because I kept finding older white people and younger black people. And I couldn't do it other than come, ending up with like Morgan Freeman or Denzel for an older one. I said, all right, no, I'm going to go back. And because she was so each for is who, who f- I found a place artane and ended up with him. But anyways, uh, for Duran, I said, you can do one of two things. I was like, if you get the right director or right producer or something, people, somebody has been in a movie, if they're older, they could totally just be, they could be in the movie. And I just thought that'd be that kind of a fun twist. Like they'd sure, yeah. in the movie. they don't have to be yeah. in it very much. He was only in it. What? Two or three scenes. Yeah. Um, but I also put down Carl, Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner would be good. He's he's getting really up there. Well, I said, you know, yeah, he, you want some guy who's older who's not really doing anything anymore. So figured he'd begin. For Leroy, I put down Josh Brolin. Thought he could play somebody who looks like an ex-cop. That's pretty tough. Yeah. For Ruby, I was trying to pick somebody who is a little bit older, closer to you know the age but like uh, maybe a charlie Theron or rebecca romaine but i did like the, the casting of the girl that you picked yeah that because she's older she's closer to 50 i think she's actually a little older than 50 and I, that's why i ended up with her i want i didn't want the female to be 15 years younger than the male so um that's how i ended up with her i kind of like dug and dug until i found one and then i put down for k-rock just for fun i was like tossing like kevin hart or something like that <laughs> sure why not <laughs> Um, but for the casting wise, that's all I have. But, I mean, for like other actors, you know, that, you know, you could toss in maybe Julian Moore or something like that. I don't know. You know, I was just like Julian Moore wouldn't be bad as actually I'd like her as Cleo. I think she'd yeah, be she good could. as the as the madam. Yeah, she could kind of play it as. She knows how to deliver those kind of fu lines that Cleo has. You tossed Michelle Pfeiffer in there too, just to Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, she's kind of making a comeback, thankfully. It's you been know, way too long we, since we've seen her and stuff. Dangerous Minds was like twenty years ago, man. You know, Sharon Sharon Stone, maybe. Sure, uh, Robin Wright is another one that could be out there. Yeah, Robin Wright definitely could be out there for that. Robin too. Wright could actually even play Ruby. She's old enough to play Ruby. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying all oh. like either either one of those. Yeah, but I think more of of the Ruby. I'm thinking of people that are over like. You know, you need over 50. 50, probably right yeah. at least 50. Yeah. Let's not be ageist like set like Hollywood is and have the 64 year old dude with the 33 year old chick. Exactly. All right. I like that. I think I think we've got something here. Especially I'm, I'm a big fan of Woody Harrelson with either Teron Edgerton or Channing Tatum. Yeah, because I always say it's like they have him. He's the young guy. But, you know, even if you wanted to take it the same way. Channing Tames, we've seen he can do some action. He can do some comedy. Yeah, we, I mean, he more. could be that, – That's they're in the range. You need 28 to 34, somewhere in that range, and they both fall in there. And it's like they don't have to necessarily be that age. They just have to be able to look that age. And Channing Tatum, you know, what? how long ago was he in the movie where he's supposed to be playing a college kid? Like 12 years ago. <laughs> no, the uh, – Oh, you mean um, 22 Drum Street? Yeah. But they even make joke cracks in that that they're like, man, you look like you're like 30 years old. Yeah, <laughs> that that movie breaks the fourth wall really bad. There's a lot of like, why are we making this movie again? Because people will go see it and pay money for it. People go go see it and pay money for it. All right. Uh, anything else on the movie, Mike? No. 
All right. Worth a watch. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. I, I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, if you have, watch it again. It's a lot of fun. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at Worth the Watch PC. Is that what it is? Yeah. Email us at Worth the Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Share us with friends. Uh, our numbers have slowly grown, but, um, you know, tell a friend, have them tell two friends, and so on and so on and so on. So we can uh, spread the love out further and further. Thanks again, Mike, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, fuck you very much.